What is going on, good people? On today's future award-winning Moran Analytics podcast, episode number 171, I have recurring guest Jeff Boyd from the 716 Sports Podcast. Whenever I get Jeff on the podcast, you know what it's going to be. Tons of Buffalo Bills talk, tons of Buffalo Sabres talk, and when it comes to the former, at least, a good week, certainly a bounce-back week for the Bills. Of course, about a week or so ago, the Bills went across the lake to Cleveland and flat out blew an opportunity to win a game that they should have won. They did not get it done. I considered Miami a must-win game. In fact, on the podcast last week, I said, if the Bills want to be considered legitimate AFC wildcard contenders at the end of the year, not by what their record is right now, but near the end of the season, they want to really be in that race, be out in front. These next two games, positively must-win games. I was talking about Miami to start, and then this coming week at home against Denver. Halfway home on that front, the Bills did go down to Miami on Sunday, handled their business, did what they were supposed to do. Jeff and I are going to talk plenty about that game, including, I said, a bounce back for the Bills. It was especially a bounce back game for Josh Allen. You know, on this podcast just last Friday, I had Nick Gary from WGR on, and we had to address the comparisons. Josh Allen, Tyrod Taylor, they were presented during the week by people in the media. So we talked about that last week and it was not a fun conversation to have comparing Josh Allen and Tyrod Taylor. I tell you what, based on at least what I saw Sunday, maybe we should be comparing Josh Allen to Joe Montana or some shit like that because I'll tell you what, he looked phenomenal. I'm just going to say it. I thought he played phenomenal in Miami on Sunday. Far and away for me anyway, best game of his career. He threw the ball good. He ran the ball good. He made really good decisions. Didn't take a sack. Didn't throw an interception for a fifth straight game. Got rid of the ball when he had to. Didn't try to force too much. Played smart with the lead. No unnecessary risk, but didn't get too conservative either. I really like Josh Allen's game. So we talked plenty about that. And his go-to wide receiver. It's time to have a really good conversation when it comes to John Brown. I don't care. If you want to label the guy a number one or number two, that's your prerogative. I know that there's labels out there for everything. I'm going to tell you what John Brown is. A must, must need player on this team right now. Imagine where this offense would be without John Brown. That guy has been one of the better free agent signings for the Bills in quite some time. 139 yards in Miami on Sunday. He's over 800 for the year. He's on pace to have, I think, the fourth best single season receiving yard mark in the history of the Bills. And Andre Reid, a Hall of Famer in his entire career, he only had one season where he had more yards than what John Brown's on pace for right now. And by the way, John Brown's only like five yards off Andre Reid's career high pace too. So just a phenomenal player, John Brown. Talk about him. The offensive line, no sacks allowed in Miami. They ran for over 100 yards, over five yards a carry. The offensive line played very well, not getting much credit because understandably so. The headlines are about Josh Allen and they're about John Brown. But we're going to hit on the offensive line. What Ty Inseki being potentially gone for the season, what that might do to the line. And then on the other side of the ball, we'll talk some defense. Guess what, folks? The defensive line decided to show up and stop the run on Sunday. Isn't that a novel concept or what? I mean, they've been getting gashed regularly pretty much for the last month now. Kind of been starting with the uh, in Orchard Park about a month ago when Miami came to town. Not the case on Sunday. They only allowed 23 yards on the ground. 
sacked Ryan Fitzpatrick six times, four of them by defensive tackles, four different defensive tackles had a sack. We'll talk about that. Matt Milano, Tremaine Edmonds, really good job at linebacker. Overall, good game for the defense, except for maybe Levi Wallace, who just may not be starting anymore. I think that might be Kevin Johnson's spot going forward. But anyway, we'll talk about tons of stuff with the Bills, have a Sabres discussion as well. Who, by the way, if your name's not Jack Eichel, I guess you don't score a goal for more than a full week now. They're free falling. It has fans worried, myself included. Are we seeing a repeat of last year where the Sabres went from being on top of the NHL to one of the worst teams in the league? Certainly looks that way over the last couple of weeks, last handful of games, that's for sure. So we'll hit on that. Plenty more coming up with my man Jeff Boyd in just a minute. Before I get to that, though, I do want to let you know that today's show is being supported by our friends at 26 Shirts. At 26 Shirts, a different Buffalo-themed design t-shirt is sold every two weeks. And then after that, presto, bam, it's gone. It's gone for good. Got to get it while it's on sale for those two weeks. Here's the best part about what they do, and they do so many good things. But here's my favorite part. For every single shirt that they sell, 26 Shirts makes a donation to either a local family that's in need or to a worthy charity. And and I can't get over this number. I can't. Since 2013, their designs have managed to raise and donate more than $650,000. Not $650, not $6,500, $650,000. Del Reed, his entire crew there, they do such an incredible job enriching the lives of many people, many people who really need that help. It's so awesome to see. And here's the last thing too about 26 shirts. The donations are great, but so are the shirts. They're really cool looking designs. They they look good on you, man. They're comfortable. They look sporty. Head on over to 26shirts.com and see what cause needs you this week. And on that note, let's do this pod. Let's do it. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, we're live. Episode 171. Greetings, everyone out there. Thanks for tuning in. My guest today, recurring guest, is my resident Bills and Sabres connoisseur. I got plenty of Bills experts and plenty of Sabres experts, but precious few dudes that I can rap with when I want to talk about both teams. My man, Jeff Boyd from the 716 Sports Podcast. Also, by the way, voice of the Canisius College Hockey Golden Griffs as well. What's going on, man? How you doing, Jeff? I'm good, Pat. Good, Pat. Busy weekend up here. We'll get Canisius on Friday and Saturday, and then the Bills and Sabres as well. So a lot to a lot to get to here on the episode this week. Yeah, and let's just get right to it, man. We won't waste any time here messing around at the top. I want to talk Bills. want to talk Sabres today. Two opposite ends of the spectrum. Two teams that seem to be kind of going in separate directions right now. And let's start with the Bills. Actually, you know what? Before I talk about the game, I actually want to talk to you for a couple of minutes about Bills fans. Because I feel like right now, and this is just becoming more evident this season, maybe than any other season that I personally can remember, there's like two sides. And I mean, they're very different sides. You got that one side that's like, all right, hey, the Bills are seven and three. They've 
beating all the teams that they're supposed to beat. Josh Allen's playing very well now. There's a couple, you know, a couple plays, a couple field goals are away from beating the Browns. They're one touchdown away from beating the Patriots and beating, you know, being 81 right now. But then there's the other side of the cap. Yeah, sure, the Bills are seven and three, but you know what? Jeff, they haven't beaten anybody this year. Josh Allen only has good games when they play Miami. He's just a younger and bigger Tyrod Taylor. And the Bills are a couple plays away from being five and five or maybe even four and six this year. Uh, personally, I used to hate both sides equally, but these negative Nancys right now are really starting to get on my nerves, man, because I just don't get it. Why can't everyone just enjoy being seven and three? You know, it's like how soon we forget about the entirety of the past two decades, how bad this team has been for the most part of these last two decades. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it, ultimately, you can really only play the schedule in front of you. I mean, this isn't Florida scheduling the Citadel for a down game in the middle of the SEC here. These games are pretty much predetermined by who's in your division, where you finished in your division last year. There's no control. The Bills aren't going out there seeking out some bad teams just to try to pad their stats here. In, in the same token, I think like every team has a couple bounces away from having a better record or, or a worse record. I mean, the Bills have only played one game where they were thoroughly outclassed, and that was the game against Philadelphia. Every other game, really, one way or the other, maybe with the exception now of yesterday's contest as well, it's been well. If they turn the ball over one more time, they lose that game. Or if they get one more touchdown, they win that game. It's just people nitpicking rather than just living in the moment. I get that it's, it's good to be willing to criticize your team no matter what, but if, after a certain point, you just have to be willing to sit back and look at a seven and three football team, the best start that this team has had in, in 20 years now, and just live, enjoy that. There's plenty of worrying about the rebuild and things to do down the road, but it's hard for me after yesterday's game to be anything but positive about where this team is standing right now. Do you sense that negative vibe among, and look, I mean, Neither I nor you are suggesting that this is the typical Bills fan, but there is enough of them out there right now for it to be noticeable. I just feel like more than the last previous years, not that we've had a lot of good, successful Buffalo seasons to go on. Like you just said, this is their best record after 10 games in 20 years right now. I just feel that negative energy coming from a lot of fans that, for I don't know, for whatever reason, maybe it's because they're not winning with style points. Maybe it's because Josh Allen hasn't come out and looked like a Pro Bowl quarterback in his second year. Maybe the offense, you know, at times has been not, it's, it's actually, it is true. They've been very inconsistent throughout a lot of the season. So yeah, again, the whole style points thing that's not scored a lot of brownie points with Bills fans. It just, it feels like, this doesn't feel like a team to me right now that is seven and three. I feel like I should be enjoying this a lot more than I am. Well, I think we fall into, especially you and I, or people like us who sit down every week and you know, we talk about these games. You break down every single aspect of the football game. And I think we, we just, in Buffalo, compare ourselves a lot to, and not to mention the evil empire, but we really, we look at ourselves through the lens of the New England Patriots. And right. we lost to the Patriots. The Patriots are having a really good season. Another impressive win yesterday against the Philadelphia team that beat Buffalo. And I think that at this point, you just look at, we look at ourselves and be like, well, we, we, we still can't beat New England. We haven't beaten those quote-unquote good teams. There's really only been maybe two or three even teams I would consider good on the Bills' schedule so far this season. That depends heavily on your opinion of the Cleveland Browns. It's, it's tough to 
look at this team and be like, oh, we're better than the Patriots. We're just think we're everyone. When we, if we ever got to that point where we were beating the Patriots, I don't think anyone worries. It's just that we, we're still second fiddle. We got that kind of little sibling syndrome where we're trying to see what we have to do to be to be the best. I think, oddly enough, the, the playoff game actually happening a couple of years ago really changes the perspective, too. If that doesn't happen and the Bills miss the playoffs that year, they're sitting at seven and three right now and looking all but into the playoffs. I bet you a lot of the people that are complaining right now would be like, but at the same time, we're going to the playoffs. And I think that because it's it hasn't been that crazy drought anymore, I think people are hungry not just for a playoff game, but they're hungry for a team that they consider capable of winning in the playoffs. And I think that's kind of we're in that limbo. Is this team good enough to be a playoff team right now? Absolutely. Is this team feeling like that Jacksonville game all over again? It may be. If they're going to be the fifth seed in the AFC at this point, they're going to have to travel and play maybe the the AFC South or AFC West or AFC North division winner. Probably not AFC North with how well Baltimore is doing, but you look at it. Can this team hang with Houston? Can this team hang with Kansas City or Oakland? I think that's where a lot of the doubt starts creeping in, and that's where a lot of people start losing a little bit of the shine on the seven and three record. You know, that's a very fair point. Two years ago, I think everybody was just happy to get into the playoffs. It didn't really matter who they were playing, where they were playing and how it unfolded. It was a success just to get there. Whereas with this team this year, it's starting to feel like just making an appearance in the playoffs isn't necessarily good enough, which I think is a fair point. There's not and an AFC that, frankly, is not extremely dominant. I mean, sure, New England is New England. They're 9-1. and one, And Baltimore keeps looking better every week. But as a whole, I don't think the AFC is quite so dominant. It's definitely not on the level that the NFC is. So I'm, I'm sure there's a sentiment out there of Bills fans that are feeling like, you know what, I don't just want to finish 9-7 and seven and back into the playoffs as a sixth seed. I want to get there and I want to win a game or, or maybe even two games. I don't think that's very unrealistic because wouldn't you agree as a whole, the AFC is not even close to being as good as the NFC this year. Oh, it, it's not even close. And really with the exception of New England and Baltimore for sure. And we're, we're taping a little bit before the Monday night game. So whatever happens with Kansas City tonight, we don't have that knowledge yet. You're looking at two or maybe three top level teams in the AFC, but there are some teams in the NFC that I believe would absolutely team role in AFC division that aren't even going to make the playoffs. I mean, just look at, for example, just look at the, the NFC West. You've got San Francisco as a one loss team. They lost to a Seattle team. That's very good. The worst team in that division is probably the Cardinals who I would see as a nine or 10 win team in the AFC. That's a good football team. And that's the case for a lot of those teams out there. I think the NFC has six or seven teams that are better than the second or third best team in the AFC right now. Obviously, the light, the lightning rod is always and always will be Josh Allen for better or for worse. And I feel like you can only take it game by game. And against Miami, I thought he was very good. 21 to 33, 256 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, 56 yards on the ground, another score on the ground as well. I feel like, you know, you could be critical of Josh Allen on the whole for the season all you want. He has been inconsistent, and we've talked about this several times. And at other times, you know, maybe saying the word inconsistent is being generous. He's been mediocre at times this year, no doubt about it. But that wasn't the case on Sunday. I tweeted after that game on Sunday. I said, Josh Allen threw for 256, 
ran for 57 more, didn't fumble, didn't take a sack. Oh, and he didn't throw an interception for a fifth straight game. You're criticizing him tonight. You're a hater and also a stupid idiot, which you know what? That might've been a little bit emotional and, and too much on my end. But I mean, what about his game on Sunday? If you're being an objective fan, whether you're a Josh Allen guy or not, what about his game on Sunday? Can you really pick apart without coming across as a complete Josh Allen hater? Because I thought, I don't like to use this word often, but I thought he was borderline spectacular on Sunday. I mean, if, if, you, if you're on Twitter complaining about Josh Allen in general, I think there's certainly a lot of things, and you mentioned some of them there, things to criticize, whether it's his fumbles or sometimes his inaccuracy, especially downfield. But I think if you're if you're willing to just be objective, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, it's hard to say that yesterday was anything but a great game. He was excellent yesterday. He made a lot of good reads. That downfield throw, the touchdown to John Brown, which was a 20 or 21-yard in-air pass, which I think was his first throw downfield that long that was complete. He looks off a player, makes a read at the line. It was everything you hoped. And he didn't get to that magical 300-yard number that's still looming out there, as we'll know Bill's quarterback's done that in X amount of games. I now. hate it. I but, hate it. Well, yeah, and, and it's it's really, it's, a, it's an arbitrary number. It's like, well, you got the 298. Is 298 really worse than 300? Is 256 that much worse than 300? Especially in a game. And we talked after the first Miami game. That game gave me bad vibes about this team. Yesterday's game, that they finally did the thing that I think we've wanted them to do for a while. They finally took control of a game and beat a team down that they should have. And they haven't been doing that team. They didn't really do it to the Jets. They didn't do it to the Dolphins the first time. They did not do it to Washington. But yesterday, finally, no matter what Miami did, that kick return and everything aside, I never felt like yesterday's game was in any doubt. And part of that is because Josh Allen was very much in control, making good reads, not forcing the ball into traffic, leading successful, multiple successful drives down the field. And they're not hitting these big home run plays. This is 10 yards here, five yards there. And that requires a level of consistency that was lacking in his game at points of the season. But I think yesterday you really saw, I wouldn't call it the ceiling, but you saw the player that they are hoping that Josh Allen in general becomes because if we get more games like that, I think a lot of the hitters are going to have no choice but to either convert or just get really quiet. <laughs> do you feel like this was his best game? Because I certainly do. Again, we've talked about other games this year, and you've been on the show a couple times since the season has started, and there's been ups and there's been downs. And that's, look, if you're going to say not every throw was perfect on Sunday, no quarterback has every throw perfect. He didn't have every throw, not every read, not every play was perfect. But as a whole, like if we were to give a report card out for each game, I feel like Josh Allen would have a lot of B minuses, C plus, maybe a C minus this year. I don't think he's had any real Fs, at least as far as I'm concerned, but he hasn't had an A game either. I feel like Sunday, if we were doing a report card for every game, I'm I'm giving him an A. I don't know. How do you feel about that? It really does feel like an A game because there wasn't anything that, that really took away from it. And if, if you if you want to go online and pick apart a bad Josh Allen throw from yesterday, you're really just looking for something to be mad about. Right. Because the overall of the game is so overwhelmingly positive. I would agree with your your first point. This is a, this is for me his best full game of the season. I think there were drives and individual throws and maybe individual moments where he was better 
than he was at any point on Sunday. But I think as far as he went out there for 60 minutes and he competed, it might be, it was definitely his best game of the season. I would have to think long and hard about whether that's his best game as a Buffalo Bill too, going back to last season. And you can say whatever you want about the quality of opponent. It's an NFL team that was on a two game winning streak. The Dolphins are certainly not a playoff team. They're nowhere close, but still, this is a, no one is going to give you anything. The Dolphins are clearly not rolling over and playing dead. And Josh Allen went out there and they had a great game plan. It really felt like a great game plan too. It's been a while since no one was in online criticizing Allen and or Dable, but it looked like whether it was just having him up in the booth and maybe giving Josh some more information in his ear about the defensive alignments before the play, or whether they just had Miami scouted after that first game, it felt like, Everything was there for Josh Allen, and he took everything very well. That is absolutely an A game for me, and by and far his best game of the year. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, I'm not going to hype it up too much because this was the Miami Dolphins. But also, let's be fair. This is a team that did come in winning two straight. Granted, it was Brian Hoyer, but they did beat the Indianapolis Colts. With the team without the quarterback, they're still a good football team. And this is also, by the way, a team that was maybe a Trey White interception away near the end zone three weeks ago or four weeks ago, whatever it was from winning three in a row coming into this game, because I thought if, if Trey White doesn't make that play and Indy or uh, Miami goes up 21-9 in Buffalo, they end up winning that game. So they were playing a team that was on a little bit of a roll and felt like for the first time all year that they had something good to play for. And as far as Josh Allen, you talked about that John, John Brown throw. That was a beautiful throw. He also had a couple other really good plays that like that play action run I can't think of the guy's name off the top of my head. That number 93, I'm, I still don't know where he's at in the play. If he even knows Josh Allen ran that play like the next day later. I mean, he pulled him so bad. It was a 33-yard run. That that blitz pickup where he found Dawson Knox, that was a beautiful read, beautiful throw. Broke one tackle. Bam. Touchdown. Again, and I, you know, I'm careful here because I don't want to come off like this Josh Allen homer because I am certainly not that. In fact, on Facebook, everyone thinks I'm a Josh Allen hater. I guess as if you follow me on Facebook or on Twitter. But you can't deny some numbers. They're just not deniable. You know, if you want to throw out that magical, quote-unquote, 300 passing yard mark, which I hate, and that's how you're going to judge if he's a good quarterback, I'll tell you what, if you're going to do that, then you better look at his last five games. Because guess what, Jeff? His last five games, eight touchdowns, zero interceptions. Zero. So if you're going to look at 300 yards, you better look at zero interceptions over the last five games as well. You agree? I, I absolutely agree. He becomes now the first quarterback since Jim Kelly to have two touchdowns in six consecutive games as quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. And there's something to be said for that level of consistency. Now, the, are the, the peaks as high as, say, Rodgers or Mahomes or Brady? No. There, he certainly doesn't have that high-level kind of game under his belt yet. Um, but it's it is hard to look at this and be like, okay, well, this is a clearly a lost cause. This is not Marcus Mariota or Mitch Trubisky. These are not quarterbacks that are going out there throwing 40% completions, turning the ball over and can't get anything going. This is a guy who I think is still learning. I think that the last couple of games have been encouraging uh, for a guy like myself, who was really unsure how I felt about Josh Allen, even a month ago. I feel better about him today than I ever have as far as him being a starting quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. Let's take a quick break. Want to let you know today's show is supported by Pulse Cellular. Today's lifestyle demand is the best in wireless. And with Pulse Cellular, you have the best options available. Switch to Pulse Cellular for unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data. Coast to coast with no contracts, no credit checks, and no overage fees. 
One line for $65 or four lines for just $45 each. That includes hotspot, Wi-Fi calling, and up to 50 gigs per line. And for all you travelers out there, Pulse has you covered in Canada and Mexico, plus text and data in over 210 countries worldwide, all with the best phones, or you can bring your own. That's pretty awesome. Get the best user experience on mobile at PulseCellular.com. Let's talk about his main go-to guy in the offense, John Brown. I'll tell you, Jeff, when I remember very well when the Bills signed both John Brown and Cole Beasley, I was more excited at the time about Cole Beasley. Not that he's been a letdown, because by no means do I consider Cole Beasley a letdown for this team at all this year. But I was okay with John Brown. I'm like, all right, cool. He's another Robert Foster type, a fast guy who could get down the field, a speedster who's going to make plays. He's been everything that I did not think he was going to be for this team. I thought he was going to be a guy who would get down the field. Josh Allen would air it out, which we all have seen this year. That's the one thing he has not done well is throw a really good deep ball. But John Brown unquestionably has become his go-to guy. If it's third and six and he needs a big play, he's looking at John Brown almost every time. And this guy just continues to deliver with absolute, the utmost of consistency. You can make a very strong case right now that we're 10 games in. And if you told me John Brown is your team MVP right now, I don't think you'd get an argument out of me. I think he's been that good. What do you think? The offense is in a very different place without John Brown. Uh, He's been excellent. And Sunday's game, an incredible game for him. I mean, again, you go back to, oh, it's just Miami. He still dominated Miami. I think he has a much more complete route tree than anyone gave him credit for when he came over and signed here in the off season. And yep. part of that maybe from us Bills fans is well, like, the best part of his career is out in Arizona, but how many Arizona Cardinals games were on TV recently? It's been a while since anyone watched a lot of Cardinals football, at least until the Kyler Murray draft. And then he goes to Baltimore and it's kind of a weird situation in Baltimore because they signed him and Michael Crabtree and Willie Sneed all almost together. And I don't think they ever really sorted out what they wanted to do with all three of them. And he comes here and I don't think anyone gave him credit. And I right there with you. I was very excited about Beasley. Brown was like, Oh cool. We get another number two guy. Brown is right there in that borderline. I don't know if I want to call him like a pure number one receiver. Cause when I think about number one receivers, you think of your, your Julio Joneses and Mike Evans and Keenan Allen's of the world, but he is right up there in that second tier of receiver. And it really feels like at this point, he and Josh Allen have a very good connection and understanding. And that's the kind of thing that's only going to get better. And that should really scare some secondaries, knowing that this is probably something that is still really developing amongst two players that are playing their first season together. I'll tell you, it reminds me, it's probably the best quarterback wide receiver combination in terms of chemistry that I personally remember since maybe even going all the way back to the days of Doug Flutie with Eric Moles. I just think they're on the same page. It seems like they're on the same page constantly as well. And Allen is constantly looking towards him as he should be. And you know, this was like a breakout game for him in Miami. Nine catches. I think he had 138 yards, two touchdowns. He's, he's quietly though, like I said, he's been just really consistent. He hasn't had any game this year where he's only had two catches for like 15 yards. You know, that tends to happen with a Buffalo Bills wide receiver as they kind of disappear even the good ones, Sammy Watkins, Robert Woods, these guys would kind of disappear for a couple games at a time where they would have nothing on the stat sheet. Has not been the case at all with John Brown. I think he's had like at least 50 yards receiving each game. And I'm not the kind of guy who likes to throw out like on pace stats very often. I kind of think those are stupid because things change rapidly. 
but you can't ignore. Right now, he's at 817 yards receiving, which, by the way, leads the entire AFC. He's got more receiving yards than anyone in the AFC. And as of right now, he's on pace to finish with the fourth best season, Buffalo Bills single season history in receiving yards. And he's only like seven yards off the pace of Andre Reid's best season of his career in Buffalo. And that dude's a Hall of Famer. So yeah, this guy's been really, really good. And you just said it perfectly a couple of minutes ago. I can't imagine where this offense would be right now if John Brown went down. It would be in a really bad. Now they have to be ready for some sort of contingency. Because the NFL, you know, anyone can get hurt. And I'm not as much worried about the injury as just everyone's going to start realizing, okay, well, I guess we really have to focus our, our secondary on John Brown. When teams do that, which teams will do that, is Beasley or Knox or Foster or whoever. Is there another guy that Josh Allen can run the offense through? Because teams are going to look at those numbers for John Brown on Sunday, and that's going to, some eyeballs are going to pop out of some heads. And they're going to be like, okay, well, now we have to get ready for this guy. And it may, it may not be Sunday against Denver. I'm not super worried about the Denver defense. But down the road, again, against tough teams, when you're playing the New England of the world, these are teams that are going to scheme, trying to limit John Brown. He'll still get his. I'm not worried about him getting his. He's up there. You mentioned his, uh, getting over 50 yards a game. It's him and Michael Thomas of the Saints. Those are the only two players in the NFL who have done that. That's a real good company to be in. And there's a lot of real good players who have not been able to get that consistency. And you, you mentioned he's leading the AFC in receiving. Like, just look at some of the names behind him. He is just lapping guys like Andre Hopkins. He has had an incredible season. Will it continue to this extent? I don't know. But at this point, he's got a pretty good sample size of being able to do it. I would think that if Beasley or someone else can come along on the other side, prevent teams from really just focusing John Brown, they've got a real good thing going over there between Allen and Brown. Yeah, I think other players are going to start to get opportunities because I do think there's going to be more attention paid to John Brown. So maybe Cole Beasley can start to put up some more catches and numbers that we thought he might get. Maybe Robert Foster might finally start to break through. We probably could have said that for all 10 games this year that we've been waiting for that game to come from him, but it hasn't. I'll tell you what, I, I do this podcast. You do the 716 Sports Podcast. We're both around sports talk a lot. And I'm kind of like everybody else. When the Bills win, I dive into as much content as possible. I'm reading everything I possibly can get my eyes on. I'm listening to as many podcasts or radio segments, just like everybody else. When they lose, I kind of want to, you know, I shut it off for a day or two. And like I said, I have my own podcast. I don't even want to hear myself talk when it's about a Bills loss. It's just how I've always been. But anyway, here was my point. They beat Miami Sunday. They looked really good doing so. And understandably so, all the talk is about Josh Allen, the defense, and John Brown, which, you know, John Brown and Josh Allen, you and I have already talked about. I want to give some love to the offensive line. I'm going to tell you what, dude. I thought they also, I talked about Josh Allen having his best game of the year. So did the offensive line. I got to give them props. Josh Allen had 36 passing attempts, was not dropped once, rarely pressured. Also ran, the team ran for over 100 yards, averaged five yards, 5.1 yards per carry. This was a very, very good game from the offensive line. Josh Allen was standing back there in that pocket at times having all day. And you and I both know with these Bills receivers, sometimes it takes all day for them to get open. He had all day. That offensive line I thought was fantastic on Sunday. It makes a lot of difference when your quarterback has the time to make the reads that he wants. And they really did do a good job. I was a little worried when Nasicki went down that maybe that would change some of the rotations, but they really did not appear to miss a step. 
which is maybe even the most impressive part of that for me is you, you lose one of your guys and everyone else just bands together. And it really felt like they just went out to war. There it was a full unit. Everyone who was on the field was doing their job. It's been a while since we could say that about any Buffalo Bills offensive line, especially in the post Eric Wood and such era. Sure. It was a really good effort and it made a lot of things possible for Josh. And you could tell that he was, he was going through more reads because he knew he had the time. He just seemed like he was able to be more comfortable because of that. Cody Ford will be the right tag. I mean, he's been in a platoon with Ty and Seki all year, but it's probably going to be Ford exclusively going forward. On Monday, McDermott didn't really say much. He said that he's still undergoing tests on his ankle. Everything I've heard is that it's not good. So Cody Ford is going to be the starter at right tackle going forward and probably going to play all the snaps. How worried are you about him? Because he was not very good at all early in the year. The criticism continues to be He's built to be a guard. He's strong. He's a bull on the inside, but he's he struggles against quick edge guys. You know, when they're at defensive ends in the pass rush, do you think he's improved? I mean, I mean, you and I are no O-line experts, but what's your level of worry right now if it is going to indeed be Cody Ford exclusively at right tackle the rest of the way? I liked him a lot coming out of college. I don't know that I'm worried about him yet. He hasn't been as consistent as I think a lot of people hoped he would be. That was considered to be a very good draft pick, maybe even a little bit of a steal getting him where they did, and it hasn't been so, so far. But, you know, here's a here's a real big chance for him. I, I like him as, in general. I think he's going to be a, a key member of this offensive line here for a few years moving forward now. But he's going to really have to take that next step. I would be lying if I said I'm fully confident he's going to come right in and pick it up day one. But I think that ultimately he's going to be the guy over there and he will get it. Hopefully it doesn't involve Josh Allen being chased around the field for a couple of games before he really does get it. You know, what's funny, Jeff, is I'm sitting here talking earlier in the podcast about spoiled bills fans. I kind of just became there one myself because I'm sitting here criticizing Cody Ford for not being that good as a rookie at right tackle. Need I forget that Jordan Mills manned that right side for the last couple of years where if the quarterback could even get a throw off, that was like a victory on this team. Oh yeah. It, no matter what the, the places that we're at right now, it is still so much better than it's been. And it's trending upwards versus downwards. So could it be a little bit better? Yeah. Ideally it'll be a little bit better. This is still a lot better than it's been some other years. <laughs> exactly, man. Let's switch sides of the ball real quick here. The bills on defense, the run defense specifically, very good on Sunday, which was a nice welcome change. They had allowed, 100 yards of rushing or more in five straight games coming into this. They broke that streak. Miami had just 26 yards rushing on 13 attempts. I thought it was a really good game plan. You could see very early on, they were bringing more guys into the block into the box. They were run blitzing. They were doing a lot of line stunts. They saw a lot of Jordan Poyer, Teron Johnson, ended up there in the box. They were meeting Trey White a couple of times, hitting the running back, Balazs. As soon as he would touch the ball, he was getting hit. It just seems like they schemed for this game a lot better than any other uh, opponent that they've had over maybe the last month or so because they were, they've been getting gashed in the running game, but that was definitely not the case on Sunday. And it was it felt like they, they were prepared for Miami to come out and try to run on them. It just didn't work for the Dolphins. Well, the interesting thing that I was reading, and much like you, when the Bills are, are doing well, maybe I see got a little bit more content, was a piece about uh, Tremaine Edmonds and how he's a pretty soft-spoken, softly-spoken guy. He had gone out and made a big speech to his teammates on Saturday. And it seemed like it really resonated with a lot of them. And that yeah. defense that went on the field Sunday really did look like it responded to that pretty well. Contain was much better. Tackling was much better. 
They were anticipating things better. It just, there was nothing easy being given up. I feel like Kalen Bellage goes out there against the defense last week and he might get another couple big runs and who knows how much of an impact that has in the game. But there wasn't that kind of ability for him to do that against the team that went out there on Sunday. They did a really good job. I know people are going to, again, roll your eyes off. Kalen Bellage, who was the starting running back when the season started, he's still an NFL starting running back. And they did a really good job containing him and limiting chances for, for him, for the receivers in space for anyone just to really break free and, and make something happen in the game. The defensive tackles specifically had a very good game. I keep saying that quite often with this review because a lot of guys had a really good game. Four sacks from the defensive tackles. And here was the best part. All four of them each had one. So every Bills defensive tackle had a sack. Jordan Phillips had one. He's up to seven on the year. I'll talk about him in a second. Ed Oliver had his first sack of an actual NFL quarterback. His first sack was on a, a wide receiver on a trick play. Ed Oliver, or I just said Ed Oliver, Star Lodale, he even got in on the action. Corey Leggett, it was a good game for all four defensive tackles, specifically Jordan Phillips. He's up to seven now. He's leading the AFC among defensive tackles and sacks. In fact, he's second in the entire NFL right now, only to Aaron, Aaron Donald when it comes to sacks. Aaron Donald has eight. Phillips has seven. This guy is setting himself up to get paid during this offseason. And I'll tell you what, generally speaking, the last thing I want to do when the Bills are 7-3 and three is have a conversation about the offseason because there's a lot of meaningful football left to go as opposed to other years where we'd be talking about the draft and offseason moves usually by this point in the season. Not the case this year. But when it comes to him, I do got to ask you, man, I don't think the Bills are going to end up breaking the bank for him because they got Ed Oliver. But this guy's really setting himself up to get one of those monster contracts. You know, like New England's guys like Trent Brown and Flowers last year, they went out on the market and got stupid money. I feel like Jordan Phillips might be that guy this time around. He really might be, and he's on pace to easily get double-digit sacks, and he was not really getting playing time to start the season either, so he's doing this, and he, like, he's beating guys out statistically who had a big head start on him when it yeah. comes to, you know, Phillips was in those first couple games. I would agree that this is not a, unfortunately, I would love to have him here, but I, I agree. I don't see them breaking the bank for him when you've got Harrison Phillips and Oliver and bringing Corey Legit. You still have Star Latulale. I mean, there's too many guys there for you to look at Jordan Phillips and be like, well, we're going to pay this guy millions and millions of dollars. But I could see him hitting the market and being one of those guys who you're to look at the numbers he signed it for. Like that guy got that much money. I could see him getting one of those deals this offseason. Yeah, no question about it. I think that's exclusively the reason why he won't be back in Buffalo. I don't think it's because he doesn't love playing in Buffalo. I know he loves playing in Buffalo. I know the Bills love having him. But again, you got to be kind of responsible with your cap. You did draft Ed Oliver. He hopefully is going to be the guy next year that Jordan Phillips is right now. And if you want to keep the core of your players together, you can't sign everybody, especially when you got somebody who arguably is even more talented playing behind him right now because. Next year is not so bad with free agency, but in two years, you got Matt Milano, Jordan Poyer, and Deion Dawkins. Their contracts are all up, not this year, but the year after. And then Trey White, too, but you could use uh, the club option to give him a fifth year, which surely they will because he was a first rounder. But my point being is because of those type of guys, when you get someone like Jordan Phillips and he's going to get paid as much as I'm sure he's going to get paid, at least at this rate anyway, if he keeps playing the way he is, that's what's going to play himself out of Buffalo. Not to mention, that might end up being a third round comp pick too. I, you know, I marvel at this team. Brandon Bean's done such a good job of building it. And sometimes I got to take a step back and say, 
I don't care what their record is. I don't care if they lose their last five games, last six games of the year. This club is really built in terms of cap room and young players and guys that they can control and build a team around. I think Brandon Bean has done a spectacular job of actual roster building right now. I mean, that's the best part about this team is no matter what happens in this offseason, this is not a team that's in a place where next year it's going to get all blown up. They, they can easily keep all the key pieces and there's still lots of room to, if they, if they think that next year is the year and they want to go out and get some guys, they can go out and get some guys. This is a team that is in a position to basically put the, put their foot to the floor whenever they feel like it's, it's, it's time because they have so many guys under young guys, guys under good contracts. There really isn't a guy they, they're going to lose some pieces. Every team loses some players every year. But there, there is nothing on this team that I think that they're going to lose that will impact their trajectory moving forward. It is a really good job done by Bean. I, I think a lot of questions were asked about parts of his process at points, but the overall is just overwhelmingly positive what he has done constructing a team with the modern NFL salaries and salary cap involved. I agree. Let's look ahead briefly to Sunday. I'm, we're not going to deep dive into the game. It's only Tuesday when people are hearing this. Plenty will change before that, but you got the seven and three Buffalo Bills at home against the three and seven Denver Broncos, quarterback by Brandon Allen. Yet the Bills are only four and a half point home favorites against the three and seven team. That's pretty interesting to me, man. I just, it's just one of those situations. I just the Bill. I don't think the Bills aren't going to get any respect this year until they really go out and beat a team that no one thinks that they're going to beat. Regardless, anyway, Jeff, I feel like. This is the second of two straight must-wins for the Bills. I thought the Miami game was a must-win for sure, and I feel like this Denver game is a must-win for sure. Not saying Denver is this complete total pushover. They did get out to a 20-0 lead at Minnesota this Sunday, but there's zero excuse to lose at home. They got to win this game, right? Absolutely. I think some of those odds makers might have turned the Minnesota-Denver game off at halftime and just called it close enough <laughs> and gave them a negative four and a half. Um, Denver doesn't worry me. The only thing that would worry you, and it worries me a little less after Sunday, you just got to make sure you contain the running game. Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman are definitely capable running backs, but I'm not, I cannot be less worried about Brandon Allen. He's not an NFL starting quarterback to me. They have one really good receiver in Cortland Sutton. You put Trey White over there. I, this is a team that they should win. It should be similar to the Miami game where you should win by two scores or so, maybe even a little bit easier on paper than the Miami game, because you're not facing a guy in Ryan Fitzpatrick who's got that kind of veteran savvy. It, it should be another easy win, one they definitely have to have. Um, but I think that this team is in good position to just take care of business. All right, so let's say they win on Sunday. This will be the last Bills thing here. And let's go ahead and give them the Jets game at home in Week 17. That puts them at nine wins. Let's just assume that they're going to have to get to 10-6 and six to ensure a playoff spot because you do have Indy or Houston, whoever doesn't win that division, they're right there. I think they both have what four losses right now. And then you got Oakland who is also, what are they? Six and four. I think Oakland is anyway, Oakland. Yeah. Oakland's right there. The loser of the AFC South is right there for sure. Pittsburgh's kind of on the fringe now at five and five, but they do play Buffalo at home. So that's obviously a huge game. But if you take away Denver and you take away the Jets. So you got Baltimore left. You got at New England. You got at Dallas. You got at Pittsburgh. Where's that 10th win coming from in your eyes? Like right now, what's the most likely path to 10 wins if you give Denver and the Jets to get the Bills to nine? They got to get to 10. So who, 
Yeah. I, I, well, first of all, I agree that you have to get to 10. I don't, I don't feel safe with nine because of the reasons you just mentioned. Right. It's got to be a Pittsburgh, in my opinion. I mean, Baltimore is Baltimore looks better every single time they're on the field. Have fun trying to stop Lamar Jackson, especially if that team still has something to play for. Um, you never want to say that New England's easy. I do think they can compete with New England. They proved they could compete with New England. Uh, Dallas on a short week on Thanksgiving is a tough matchup, although that team's a little, little schizophrenic. You never know what you're going to get from Dak Prescott. I think that for multiple reasons, additionally, just trying to knock off one of those teams that's chasing you, your road becomes so much easier if you just take care of business at Pittsburgh. It's Mason Rudolph who has had his struggles. We, we're not allowed to talk about how bad he was on Thursday because he almost got his brain bashed in, but he was terrible for four quarters against Cleveland. Yeah, uh, he is. There's a lot of opportunities to be had to force turnovers. They have a ton of injuries. That's a team that you should take care of business against for the same way that you should take care of business against Denver. Utilize your pressure, good secondary, beat up on a young quarterback who doesn't have the experience. Let's take a quick break. Want to let you know today's show is supported by Matt Cundell voiceovers. Matt Cundell started doing voice radio ads in the 1990s. As his career progressed, he began to branch out and do voice work for television, films, working with e-learning companies and voice solution groups. In 2015, Matt started working in voice full-time and he has been absolutely killing it ever since. Matt's now the president of the Sound Off Media Company. If you need television, radio, online videos, podcasts, telephone, corporate narrations, you name it, Matt Cundell is your guy. I've used Matt's voice for stuff on multiple occasions, both with this podcast and on other projects. Many commercial clients as well. They've been happy every time, as have I. You definitely will as well. Go to mattcundell.ca. For more information. One of the reasons why I wanted to make sure I had you on this episode was so we could talk Sabres for a few minutes. I got to ask you, man, what in the bloody blue hell is going on with this team? Things were going really good. We pretty much agreed um, a handful of weeks ago. We didn't expect them to be this good, but we also both felt like this team was built and coached to not have the rug completely thrown out from underneath them yet. Exactly. That's what's going on right now. What's going on with this team? What What's happened? I think it's a couple things. Uh, firstly, I do think there's a little bit of growing pains with a new system. They played very well to start the season, but I think that kind of masked some issues that you have when people are getting used to a new coach and a new system. Uh, that's a small part. The, the big part for me is the team that we talked about a couple weeks ago was a four-line hockey team. You had a fourth line of Larson, Gergensen, and Opozo. That was just dominating teams possession-wise. Skinner and Johansson on that second line were fantastic getting scoring. Even guys like Connor Sheary on the third line. And you look at the the box scores for the last few games, uh, this team has turned into Jack Eichel and a 17-player supporting cast. It has (laughs) turned There is nothing going on. Jack is doing everything. He won that game single-handedly on Saturday and had the only goal again against Chicago on Sunday night. There's only so much one player can do and someone's going to have to step up. This is not helped by the fact that all of a sudden everyone's getting hurt. You have a Pozo goes out. Uh, they call up Tage Thompson. Tage Thompson already hurt out three to five weeks. And now they're skating 11 forwards and seven defensemen in practice because they have too many defensemen who are getting healthy and not enough forwards who are 
maybe NHL already, and that already includes the fact that you're playing Curtis Lazar on your third line in line drills today with a game tomorrow, oh. uh, which is not encouraging. No, it's just it's a bad spot, and you can lean on Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhart and Jeff Skinner as much as you want. And they're going to win you some games still because they're talented players. But good hockey teams are three or four line hockey teams. You bad mentioned hockey teams are. Like you look at Connor McDavid, it's the same situation. You can only look rely on one player for so much. Right. You mentioned the injury bug hitting him pretty hard. Johan Lars has been hurt. Saboka, he got hit that cheap shot in Sweden. He's been out. The big one for me is Marcus Johansson. How much has his injury hurt this team? It hurts a lot. He's been probably the fourth or third best player on the team all season long. And there's been points where he's been the best guy on the ice wearing the blue and gold. Uh, not having him makes a big difference because their second line was very good. And when he is not on it, it is non-existent. Skinner can do as much as he can, but he's, he's a scorer. He's not a big possession guy. He needs a guy out there with him who can carry the puck into the zone. And not having that is really, really hurt the depth of this team. Now, the depth is obviously hurt. And Ralph Kruger has limited options because of some of these injuries. But how long can you keep rolling with guys like Jimmy Vesey, who's got no goals this year in 17 games? And don't get me, he's not the only problem. Evan Rodriguez has really given him nothing offensively. Connor Sherry only seems to be good in little spurts. And I thought Casey Middlestad had turned the corner during that West Coast road trip. But that doesn't appear to be the case at all. What can they realistically do right now? Because there's just a lot of guys who they're getting nothing from. But because of these injuries, not a lot that they can really do about it either. One other thing too, Mike Harrington had mentioned Jason Pominville a couple days ago. And initially I rolled my eyes. I'm like, come on, man, seriously. But I don't know, is that really that bad of an idea right now? What do they do? Well, first off, I'd play Pominville over Lazar right now. So sign me up for that if he still wants to come back and, you know, Pominville could come on the ice and pitch a 10 to 15 goals this year. He's not going to make a huge impact, but they could really use some depth scoring right now. Uh, this is not, not to take the easy take out, but they really need to just look towards moving a defenseman for a forward. They have 10 or 11 NHL ready defensemen once everyone is healthy. Colin Miller isn't playing. And I thought Miller was maybe their second or third best defenseman all season long. And they can't get 12 forwards out in practice today. I don't really care who it is, obviously, as long as it's not like Darlene. Move whichever defenseman you want and get a forward in here. Get a second or third line forward in here. There's got to be a move out there somewhere. It doesn't have to be earth-shattering, but at this point, it really just has to be done for death purposes. This is not, you, you don't look down at Rochester and be like, okay, well, we're calling up Bailey and Baptiste again, because those guys aren't here. That entire era is gone. There is just not a lot of guys, especially when Tage came up and got hurt immediately, and Asplund will be here. There's not a lot going on down there. They hope that Taylor Lear would be that guy, but he's been hurt, and he's out for a while still. They're, they need to bring a forward in from somewhere. And there's, they're not growing on trees down on the farm anymore. They might just have to go out and make a move. It may be a move that they give up the better player, but they can't trot out eight defensemen or seven defensemen tomorrow and expect Jack Eichel to continue to carry this offense until someone gets healthy again. Well, I highly consider myself a Sabres expert, but one thing I know is that Kyle Miller should not be sitting in the press box for any game. I'll tell you what, you just got to hit on something that I was going to ask you about. Everyone knows that the Sabres have a surplus of defensemen around the league, and I'm sure that's hurting the value of what Jason Bottrell might be able to get for one of these guys right now. But do you feel like it's at a point where 
even if he can't get the value that he really wants for whatever guy it is or whatever guys that he's trying to move, you think the attitude might be at this point, cut your losses, get somebody because you just got too many guys here. I can't imagine the chemistry on the blue line is good when you don't know who's going to be in or out of the lineup and it's only going to get worse pretty soon. They just, they got too many defensemen, not enough guys who can score goals. Even if they don't get the best value, you kind of took the words right out of my mouth. I'm like, he needs to make a move. He's got to do something. This can't keep going on. Dad, if you're dying of thirst in the desert and someone offers you a $50 bottle of water, you pay the guy for the bottle of water and don't keep walking until someone's offering you a $5 bottle of water that may never come around. Just got to kind of take the deal that's in front of you here. They might end up overpaying for a forward. It might be a trade that you hate objectively. It, it, at this point, there's too many, there's just physically too many defensemen on the team that are NHL ready. You will either lose these guys eventually to free agency because you don't want to pay all of them. You will eventually move someone or you can just kind of bite the bullet. I don't, and of course, I'm saying this not knowing what deals are available. It certainly sounds like there's been a lot of deals talked about if you follow a lot of the the guys with their ear to the ground, like Chad DeMinicis and all the, the top savers Twitter follows to be had. There's names that are bandied about, discussions have been had. Something's just got to be done. And the longer that they wait, assuming that there's a deal to be made, the longer that they wait, the worse position this team is going to be in. And if you wait another month, you lose another handful of games and you fall further and further out of contention. And then you make the move, then it might be too late. This is the time that you can still kind of right the ship and get things going here. Because it's been a bad couple of weeks, but certainly not, not nothing you can't recover from. But the season is only so long, and the longer you wait, the tougher it's going to be to fix it. Yeah, I'll tell you what, this has been an entire segment of negative Sabres talk because that's the way the team has played lately. But despite as bad as they've been, you look at the standings as we tape this on Monday, they're only a point out of being away from the playoffs. They go out on Tuesday night, they win, and no one else ahead of them wins. And now they're back in the playoffs. This is going to be the last question, and I'm going to let you go here, Jeff. Appreciate your time, as always. When the Sabres are playing well, we talk about Eichel and Skinner, the superstars on the team, the power play, although that seems like an eternity to go when they were really good. And when they're playing bad, we talk about the lack of secondary scoring. I ran down a bunch of guys as a Jew. One thing I feel like I don't hear enough about when it comes to Sabres talk is goaltending. It's almost like it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter. How are you right now with the Sabres goaltending situation with both Carter Hutton and Allmark? Do you think that their timeshare, what they're doing right now is the way it should be? Do you think one guy should be starting to play more than the other? Do you like one guy more than the other? What's your take on the Sabres goaltending situation right now? Well, I think you're really getting kind of what you paid for in the goaltending department. This is not a team that has a dominant starting goaltender who is going to win you some games you don't deserve to win more often than not. Um, I think Split has been fine. I think they really had a plan of what they wanted to do, and they've stuck to it. They've That, that is included not playing a guy after getting a shutout or things like that. Ultimately, this is really, I really get the feeling that I want to see more Olmark than Hutton. Hutton has had a couple of really just soft goals against him, and they're not all the goals, and they may not even be goals that cost the Sabres the game. But I just, I, I feel like Olmark, if for no other reason, then maybe he's still your guy for the future. Maybe it's UPL who's not quite ready yet. But I would rather, if this team is going to be like this, I would rather see more of Olmark and kind of give him lion's share and we can maybe figure out what we have with him for once because we've been kind of wondering that for his entire career. And this might be the either you figure it out now or you, you never do kind of situation for him. Yeah, I agree, man. 
All right, everyone, give Jeff a follow on Twitter at JeffBoyd716. Check out the 716 Sports Podcast dropped on Tuesdays, back right after you're done listening to this. Go check that out, iTunes, wherever else you find your podcast. What do you think you guys are going to be talking about? Again, you're taping this with me. You're going to go tape another podcast. Pretty much more of the same. A lot of Bills ranting, a lot of Sabres ranting. Is that what we could expect? I mean, a lot of similar concepts for sure. But I mean, for for us, for the Bills, um, the thing for me is talking about, you know, we're going to talk, spend more time talking about Josh Allen, even just, you know, where does he rank? Where what, What's going on with this team? Is this sustainable? And then for, it's probably going to be more Sabres, honestly, for us than Bills tonight because we're, we're big hockey guys and it has been a real tough couple of weeks. So we're just going to really take the Sabres apart here piece by piece and maybe try to perform a little operation, see what you can even do to fix this. We're going to talk, look at some, some moves, the history of Jason Botterill's trades and kind of like we talked about Brandon Bean building the team. We're going to take a look tonight at how Jason Botterill has built this team and whether or not that's kind of responsible for where they are. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for another episode. Very big thank you, my man, Jeff Boyd from the 716 Sports Podcast. Always fun to hook up with Jeff, talk Bill Sabers, whatever else comes up along the way. Love having him on the podcast. I want to thank my sponsors, 26 Shirts, Pulse Cellular, and of course, the Sound Off Media Company. Coming up on Friday's show, I'm going to have Benjamin Albright. We'll talk Bills, Broncos, get you ready for Sunday. Really looking forward to that. You know what else I'm looking forward to? You guys subscribing to this podcast if you have not yet done so already. Rate and review the show, all that fun stuff. It really helps me continue to grow this podcast. Of course, you can catch us on Apple, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. New shows every Tuesday and every Friday. Additionally, next time you're on YouTube, go hit up the Moran Analytics Podcast YouTube channel, which, by the way, is separate from this podcast. I have highlight clips from these shows on there, but I also have plenty of original audio content as well. So hit that up, Moran Analytics Podcast YouTube channel. Then last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter. At Moran Tweets, I'm constantly tweeting out pod updates, upcoming guests, polls, Ice pack giveaways, thoughts, fighting with other Twitter people, all kinds of other stuff. And again, it's at Pamoran Tweets. Thank you very much for listening. I say it all the time. I really mean it. I don't care if you're in your car, the gym, the office, taking a walk, wherever you may be. Take a time from your day to give this show a listen. It means the world to me. I'm very, very appreciative of that. Very much so. So thank you again. Have a good week, and I'll be back with a brand new show on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.